step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.
Welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. I hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving, at least uh, my friends here in the U.S. this past weekend. It's cold here in New York, rainy, sleet, and snow. The winter is about to come. All right, we got a great show for everybody tonight. First up from Lebanon, John Gokinow. We'll be talking to John in about 20 minutes or so. And the second half of the program, my brother from another mother, Steve Gaines from Anger Resort. They've got some big news coming up for next year. We'll be talking to Steve in the second half of the show. Right there, Living Death. I haven't played them on the show in a really long time. Kill Machine, that comes off the band's second record. They were another great German band. I mean, I, like the first three records I loved, Everything after that was kind of hit or miss, and there really weren't many more after that. But that seems to be the case with a lot of bands these days. You get the you get that holy trinity of like first great records, and then everything kind of falls apart. All right, we're gonna jump back into the music here. We'll get to the latest news. We'll talk to John at about six thirty here in New York, and uh, we'll keep the music going. How about Ola Yingve?
Dog song, Frigid Bitch with No Guts, No Glory. I got to find out what's happening with the guys. They were working on new music for another record. They played at, oh my God, they played at one of the festivals here in New York. I want to say it was the Defenders of Old Festival, the last one they had a few years ago. I think that was the last time I've heard anything from the band. So we'll have to find out what's going on and see if they are still together and working on new music. And right before that... One of my favorite singers of all time, David Wayne, with his band Wayne, The Hammer Will Fall. That came off the album named Metal Church. Even the logo looked like the Metal Church logo. I think Dave was trying to, like, you know, stick it back to the band back then. But that was a great record that came out around 2000, maybe 2001, if I remember. And, hey, you know, Craig Wells, who was in Metal Church, also played on that record. Uh, Jimmy Bell was on guitar, if I remember. BJ Zamp on drums. Uh, Mark Franco on bass. He had, like, a pretty, you know, well-known lineup. And it did sound a lot like, you know, the old metal church, the classic metal church uh, sound. And the band went for about three or four years. I think after David Wayne passed away, that was the end of that. Also, I know one of the guitar players from his other band, Reverend. Uh, I mean, I think he was like the last guitar player. And Reverend had a lot of guitar players in the short time they were together. He was only on, like, I don't even think he was on a full demo. I think they just had worked on or practiced or recorded some stuff. He put Reverend back together, <laughs> you know, with Bobby Leatherlung's Lucas and a few other people. And he really wasn't like, you know, anybody in the band that anybody can even say they remember. That's the funny part. A lot of the guys that were heretic, you know, were in that band back in the day. And those are the real guys that, you know, made up, you know, Reverend, along with David Wayne. Not this guitar player, but I haven't heard anything about it since then. So maybe there was enough of a backlash about, you know, this one guitar player who wasn't even on any of the demos or the albums, you know, starting up the band again. So who the hell knows what happened with that? But this is what pisses me off and gets me frustrated about the whole scene, how it's like degenerating, I feel, is because you have a lot of these promoters, a lot of people that are putting together bands, with very few, if none of the original members, even a decent amount of that classic lineup, and they're going out there playing. Now, the guys who put on the Keep It True Festival, they have a new one coming out called Hammer and Iron Festival. I think it's this January is the first one. Jack Panzer was supposed to headline. I don't know what's going on with Harry, you know, the Tyrant Conklin, because uh, he had to back out of the three tremors tour that just took place in Europe. They got Steve Grimmett from Grim Reaper to fill in for him. Uh, now they had to, now Jack Panzer had to cancel the headline performance of this festival because the Tyrant couldn't make that. He's probably got some stuff going on, you know, whatever it is, it's personal, uh, but they can't make it. So if you read the, the release that, you know, uh, Oliver put out, he was trying to get another well-known singer to replace the Tyrants so Jack Panzer can play. Now, Jack Panzer are not Jack Panzer without the Tyrant singing. I'm sorry to say that. They've had other singers throughout their time, you know, one or two other singers that played with the band uh, when Tyrant wasn't in there. But, you know, for the last better part of the last two decades, he's been back in the band. And even a few years ago when he did quit the band again, uh, the band just wasn't going to continue on. He came back and things happened again, which I'm glad for. But, you know, this is what I'm saying. It's like Jack Panzer can't make it with the original singer who is in the band that are part of the band. So something probably happened that he can't make it. So right away, they're looking to fill him in with another singer. So now you're going to go see Jack Panzer. And even though you've got, the, you know, the whole classic lineup behind there, you don't have the tyrant. And the tyrant's vocals are what makes Jack Panzer Jack Panzer. Let's be honest. Mark's an amazing guitar player. All the other guys in the band are great players, too. But you want to hear the tyrant singing those songs, not another well-known singer. This is why I get pissed off about these festivals and these festival promoters. And, you know, he makes it sound like he was in cahoots with Jack Panzer on this, but they decided not to do it. So I don't know if Jack Panzer actually agreed to go out there and play with a different singer, which I don't see happening. I mean, at least not in my opinion. Uh, you know, but this is why I'm getting pissed off because you got all these bands playing out there. Now I see that Carnivore AD, which is just the drummer from the original Carnivore, 
<laughs> the Pete Steele lookalike impersonated playing bass or some guitar player I never heard of before. They're going out doing a European tour. How the fuck does this happen? Who's paying to see the drummer from Carnivore perform Carnivore songs with nobody else from the band Carnivore? Carnivore, let's face it, it was Pete Steele. Whether you like to admit it or not, he was Carnivore, not the other two guys. Keith Alexander and Louis B. Charles naming that original lineup. It was a three-piece band. When that fell apart, it was just Pete Steele. He was the main guy. You know, I don't know. I know I'm ranting and raving about this on a weekly basis, but that's just the way it is. Uh, forgive me. Let's just move on to something else. I tell you what, you know who's having the best week ever? James Kotak. He's getting a lot of publicity lately, more just as much as when he got kicked out of a parted ways with the Scorpions because of, you know, he's had his drug issues and his alcohol issues. He had to go get cleaned up and everything. But he wound up blowing a good gig that he had with the band for 20-something years because of that. He's out there making posts every day. So this week it was about, you know, no illegal Mexican or immigrant should come into this country because he pays $38,000 a year in taxes, and they should clean up the whole shithole countries first. Last week, it was that black people get too much publicity in commercials because all the commercials are focused on black couples instead of white couples. You got to get up to James. He just says what the fuck he wants to say. <laughs> right, wrong, good, better, and different. James is out there. But you know what? He's bringing a lot of attention to the New Kingdom Come reunion that's taking place. So there you go. All right, let's get back to the music. The Rods. Off the brand new record. I think this is the first time I'm playing something off of the Rod's new album. Here's Louder Than Loud.
Oh, man, Lebanon, right forever. It's hard to believe that that record is like 33 years old already. Man, time flies by real quick. I remember picking up in Zigzag Records in Brooklyn, New York, and being a fan of the band ever since that day. I was always hoping for a lot more, but we didn't get it, and we'll talk to John right now, and we'll find out why. So just give me a second here while I uh, dial in his number, and we'll get him connected, and we'll do this interview. All right, bear with me here one second. All right, we're okay. Hello, this is John. John, this is Mike. You're live on the air. How are you, my friend? Hey, Mike, doing good. How are you tonight? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm talking to you. How bad can I be? <laughs> yeah, it's awesome, man. That's really good. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, well, listen, I, I just got done playing a song off the record, and I was like, I can't believe the album came out 33 years ago. I remember buying it. And, and falling in love with the band and, you know, such a big fan for so many decades. I know you guys aren't together anymore, but I mean, you know, let's kind of go back to the beginning of the band if we got the time. Uh, uh, sure, man. What you want to know? Well, you know, how did it all come about? I mean, it's Florida, the early 80s. The scene is just, you know, starting to come about, take off. I know Florida had a That's lot right. of great bands happening back then. How, how did you guys all get together back then? Well, as you know, I mean, you know, MTV started a whole thing there in the early 80s. And uh, and we were, you know, in the scene in Jacksonville, we were listening to stuff like Iron Maiden and Sticks, you know, Judas Priest, that kind of metal. And there was no scene like that in Jacksonville because, you know, Leonard Skinner and 38 Special were the main people from this town. It was like a Southern yeah. rock. And, uh, but anyway, you know, there was bands popping up everywhere, you know, uh, because of the MTV explosion, you know? And, uh, so, but it was as though you would go around and you'd start seeing like, man, that guitarist is really good in this band. And we'd go talk to him and say, man, we're starting this band up. And the next thing you know, you know, we got all five members and we're rented a, a practice hall and we started playing and said, you know what, we think we got something here. And we started writing some original music and, we became the first heavy metal band out of Jacksonville, Florida. Wow. When you guys all did meet up and you came together in the studio for the first time, was there a vision on where you wanted the band to go, how you wanted it to sound? Or was it just kind of like, you know, playing it by ear, seeing how everybody, you know, came into it with what they knew and how they played? Um, yeah, we, uh, we all had a, yeah, a vision of what we wanted to become. And because um, we wanted to be uh, metal, and at the time, I don't even think Metallica was even out yet. So, so you know, every genre you know, it gets labeled in a sense. So, you know, we wanted to sound like Dokken or or Van, or uh, Motley Crue, you know, at the time because you know we we, we just uh, that's what was happening. You know, you're, and we were so young, we were like twenty, twenty-one years old, and so we were you know really moved by by that that kind of stuff. Yeah, but, you know, even though you wanted to be in that vein, you guys kind of took on a life of your own. You definitely had your own sound and style. Yeah, that kind of just evolved. Um, you know, it was, we were just lucky that, like, me and Cherry just clicked, you know, when on the guitars. It was just like we became good friends, and we would hang out together, and next thing you know, our music was just sounding the same, you know, and, and it was like, wow, this is neat. And so we thought... You know, we, we we could we could do this, and uh, all the other guys in the band had the same direction. They wanted to uh, to, to rock out, and uh, so we decided to, to go ahead and put out an album. Uh, we had we had to do it all on our own, and of course. We 
we borrowed the money from the bass player, Jim Mean, and uh, and yeah. we recorded right there in Jacksonville. And we only had enough money to make 500 albums and 500 cassettes. And we sent it off to Dallas, Texas, where they pressed it. And we would sell the well, albums at our shows. Well, one of those 500 wound up in Brooklyn, New York back in the day because I still have a copy of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's incredible what it has become with that album. Like I said, there's only 500 copies, and now it's like an underground classic cult, you know, a very sought-after uh, album. Um, people are paying from 1500 to 2000 a copy for the originals, for the vinyl. And uh, it's yeah, been it's all over the country. Yeah. Well, when you did go into the studio, I mean, you know, the band's together a couple of years now. There really isn't, you know, the, the heavy metal scene back in the early 80s really hasn't taken off yet. Like I said, Metallica's record didn't come out yet. Other bands like that, Motley Crue, were just starting to really take off at that time. They didn't really explode right. a year or two later. So you guys were in, like, a scene that was relatively new, and bands were just, you know, trying to get a foothold in, like, what was happening. So did you kind of shop the band around at that point in time, or did you just say, you know, let's do it on our own. We're better off that way. That, that's right. We um, we <laughs> we we would dress up in our garb. You know, we we liked it so much. You know, we'd go to the malls, and you know, with like stage gear on, <laughs> and people would look at us like, "What is that?" You know, and you have your hair, and they the big long hair standing up on end, and uh, and it was real hard because it's like I said, it's a southern town, and uh, really southern Baptist if you get down to it. And uh, we had a hard time doing all this. And and if you look on the back of the album, there is a church door, which we thought was a unique door that we took uh, on Sunday. They were having service, and we all jumped out of a car, got up there, and took our pictures while they were having service inside. <laughs> I don't think they even knew we were there. But we just thought that was the greatest. And, and, uh, and it, it just, it's been a real, real ride, I tell you. It, it was great. I mean, now the album comes out. Like you said, you're playing in a town where, you know, metal's not really well-received or there's not a lot happening. Did you find yourself having to branch out of that part of Florida or to any other place to kind of get the audience that you were looking for? Yes. we. I mean, we would go to uh, Gainesville, Orlando, um, travel around. Uh, at the time, we didn't do a lot of traveling uh, like you would if you were on an ace circuit uh, with, with, a, with management. You know, because we did everything on our own. It's like we didn't even have a manager. We just, you know, with one of the guys, hey, got us this bar, you know, <laughs> and we would go yeah. do it. And uh, But it's like you say, we had a hard time because we're trying to make our music fit in. We had to actually play cover songs along with our original songs because, you know, bars don't want you playing your own stuff because nobody will come see you. They want to be able to know stuff that's on the radio. True. You know, it's like that till today. Nothing's really changed. You know, <laughs> they they there's still more doing that today. Yeah, it's it's crazy because you know you you. I mean, when I think about it, you know, the name, the image, the way you guys dressed, the music, everything was there. Everything was in place. I mean, did you try to take it to the next level by looking for management, or was it just something that wasn't in the cards at that point in time? Right. We we were mainly together for about three and a half years, and um. Uh, Believe it or not, our lead singer, Wade, was 16 when we put the album out. Wow. You, you know, believe that? <laughs> you know, we were all 20, 21. And, uh, but uh, 
Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought there. Um, we we wanted to. Yeah. Uh, we 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 hired a lady in Jacksonville called Bright Lights, and uh, and she was giving us some bookings, but uh, it wasn't going anywhere. You know, really, and and then we we were having some problems in the band, uh, you know, between each other on which way we wanted our music to go, and because uh, I wanted to maybe go more, you know, streamlined, you know, like Bon Jovi, you know, uh, stuff like that, or Rat and Motley Crue, while the other guys were wanting to go after Black Sabbath, you know, Ronnie James Dio type stuff. And we ended up uh, splitting up after that three and a half years. And the rest of the band stayed together. I, I left and the drummer left. And then they went on for about another two years and then moved to California. And then they broke up from, in California. Yeah, again, you know, I guess the chemistry wasn't there anymore. You know, when you're gone, the drummer's gone. It's not the same five guys performing anymore. You know, and times were changing also. This was a little later on. The album came out in 86, if I remember. So, you know, by the time the 80s came around, the whole scene was completely, you know, it seemed like every two or three years, the scene just kept changing and a different genre was becoming bigger than the next. And, you know, it was definitely like a rotating type of thing music-wise. Yes, it was. And um, if you if you look at it, you know, it was like every year the, the guys were getting prettier and the hair was getting longer, you know, and it was like, <laughs> you, you know, um, it, it was it, how do you best the next upcoming genre? Yeah, you know, of, of these guys coming out and, you know, like, like, uh, oh, I can't think of their names, but, um, you, you know, you just kind of go, this is as far as we can take this. You know, I don't think we can, you know, do anything different to make us sound different from anybody out that's now out now. That's you know what I mean? When you guys when you, when you guys started, I mean, you guys were different than everybody else. That's the funny thing is that you were doing something that other bands weren't doing, and other bands probably mimicked you. You know, but it's just it's like that, that's correct. Who goes where? You know, it's weird. Yeah, we 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 started everything in in, in Jacks. Um, we had so many other bands that would come see us play, and then they would they they started dressing and acting and trying to do the same kind of songs we were doing. Uh, you know, we were first. We were definitely the first, and uh, that that yeah. really made us kind of proud. You know, it was really a good feeling. Um, but uh, you know, like I said, it's, it's over time, sometimes your heads get a little too big, <laughs> your egos, and uh, you start having problems. Yeah, it, it's a, it's an old story, but every band goes through it. I mean, when you did decide to leave the band, I mean, was it a hard decision to make? Because, you know, you say to yourself, you know, I, I invested so much time and energy into making this thing happen. You know, I hate to leave, but I have to because it's just I know it's the right thing to do. Or is it actually easy to go because you feel like things just aren't going the way you want? It's better to just, you know, end it. Well, that's exactly right. Um, you know, when you're not happy with what you're doing, then you know you got to end it. And uh, and that's pretty much what I did because I I wanted to follow my line. I wanted to start another band, and and uh, I hated leaving this one and putting so much effort into it, you know. But everybody, you know, had their own thing they wanted to do, and so uh, that's what we, we did. You know, there was other bands that I had gotten in that uh, turned out really well. We didn't do an album or anything, but we got to open up for people like Alice in Chains. Uh, 
you know, just all, all kind of bands. We had the opportunity to, to do stuff like that. And um, if, then we started traveling, you know, to all like other Florida, and Georgia, you know, Alabama, stuff like that. You know, then once, well, it's probably, I'd say after about a, a 10 year tenure, <laughs> uh, you, you go, you know what, you know, if we haven't made it yet, we probably won't. So you got to start focusing on a career. And, uh, and pretty much yeah. a lot of, well, a lot of guys do, but even now, Everybody has their own job, but they still have a, a project going on, band-wise. When you did part ways with the band and you decided to continue on, was it a different scene that had evolved in Jacksonville at that time, where it was a little, maybe a little easier to find people to play with and you know make another band happen, or was it still kind of in that same you know mindset? It, it was it was easier, um, like you said, because the the scene was getting broader and wider. Um, it was easier to find musicians because they were starting to pop up everywhere. And so it wasn't hard to find talent all around you. Yeah. Was Spitting Kitten the next band after this? Yes, it was. Yep, it was Spitting Kitten. And even even uh, Leather Nun opened for Spitting Kitten on quite a few uh, gigs. You know, well, and we, we were... Good, right? Oh yeah, but it, we were still all friends, you know. We we weren't yeah. enemies, you know. But uh, but it was just great to, to say that I was in this band and then I'm in this band, and, and we're all playing the same gig at the same night. And it's pretty unique. Yeah. Well, how long did that go on for before Split and Kid ended? Um, Kitten ended in ninety two, nineteen ninety two. Um, okay. Uh, that that yeah, and again. That, that was me. Uh, I, I ended up saying that because uh, I wanted to get married and start my career as, and go to college and stuff because we were traveling all over the place and just staying in hotels and it just didn't click. You know, it was like, man, I'm you know, like you're homesick almost. You know, uh, we were making pretty good money. You know, because we were going through the top talent agency in the, in Florida, they were booking us really good good gigs. Everybody thinks the rock and roll lifestyle is a dream lifestyle, right? Until they're sitting in a van, sitting on a bus, sitting in a hotel room night after night. Then it's like, where's all the glamour? We know, we know better, though. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> I have some friends that are in the business, and it's like, it's not glorified at all. It's, it's extremely hard to tour all of, all of America and go to Europe and tour all year long. And, I mean, and you can't call in sick if you don't feel good. You you have to play, yeah. you know, and uh, and it, it's a, a grinding schedule, you know, long bus rides or airplanes, and uh, it's not like I said, it's not as glorious as you always thought it'd be when you were a kid. When you yeah. look at it as an adult, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I mean, you put music behind for now. You know, you, you're getting ready, with, you know, you know, move on in your life. As the years go by, and even the decades. Did you think that people forgot about Leather Nun, that they were just something from the past that was a blip on the radar? Did you realize that there was such a massive underground following for this band? That's that's what opened everybody's eyes in the band. Um, in 2002, 2003, we started, you know, everybody's getting on computers. And next thing you know, we got people calling our families and stuff, asking, are you the sister of John Gokenauer from Leather Nun? And, 
and it, do you have copies of the album? Because you know it, it was just crazy. We we're like, this is the craziest thing ever. We people are doing write ups on us on the internet, and we, we were like, we were just a couple of guys in Jacks, you know, for a three year period, yeah. just young young kids, twenty one years old. But we never thought it would have a following like this. It, it's it's still going today. It's incredible. You know what it is? Uh, you know, like when Metal kind of died out in the mid-90s and, you know, 10, 15 years later, like a whole new generation discovered like the stuff that we, you know, put out and grew up on back in the 70s and 80s. And there was like a whole new generation of kids. And the old timers like myself, yes. you know, who never stopped playing those records, you know, like it says, we all got on the internet and we started saying, you know, what about this band and that band? And next day, everybody's talking about Love and None again. And there was a reissue of the album around that time, wasn't there? Uh, yes, uh, in Greece, uh, our bass player and singer uh, had a reissue done uh, from some Greek record label, and um, so because of the demand, of uh, you know everybody was wanting our music, you know, and it's really really popular over there in Europe. Metal is, and um, you know from you know like Scorpions and the Priest and just all the bands over there, they're still. In, in their heyday over there right now, uh, it's not as popular yeah, in the states, true. you know. But you know, but like like we got a friend that's a drummer in a uh, Iced Earth um, is a band, and he, he, you know, I think uh, Prince Medley. Uh, yeah, he's doing real well with that, and um, you know, uh, a lot of other people ventured out and they're doing well. Uh, but like you were saying, the kids nowadays, like I was, we saw a band called Black Veil Brides. Uh, yeah. yeah they're, they're almost like they were back in the 80s. You know, they look like Motley Crue just about, you know, with the hair and the makeup and stuff. <laughs> you know, and it was like, wow, look at that. The 80s is coming back around. It's doing its turnaround again. It really is. So many of the bands that, you know, didn't really get the chance back then, because like over in Europe, they have a lot of these big festivals over there, and they love reuniting bands like yourselves and getting them over there and, you know, bringing them back to life again. I mean, was there ever any talk since, like, you know, you realize that people were still interested in the band and the reissue of the album that maybe you guys would kind of try to put it back together, even for, like, just one-off shows here and there? Well, we did the reunion show in 2010. Yeah. Um, I had moved to Panama City Beach, and I for a while. And when I came back to Jack's, I talked to our manager, old manager called me up and he said, have you seen what's happening with y'all's music in your album? I was like, yes. Uh, he goes, y'all guys should capitalize on that right now. And he goes, when the frying pan's hot, you need to hit it, you know? And yeah. so I made a few phone calls. I called the guys in, in LA and Orlando because we're spread out now. And, uh, and I said, what do you guys think about doing a, a show? you know, reunion and they were, they were all for it. And so we, uh, we put together a, a big show here in Jack's at, at, a, at a, next to the biggest venue you could get <laughs> besides like an arena and, uh, and ended up selling it out and, um, having just a time of your life, you know, it was just crazy, you know, sign of people's arms and stuff with ink markers. <laughs> it's like you're, you know, a big rock star or something, but which we weren't, yeah. you know, but we were being treated that way. And uh, it, it was just awesome. And, uh, but the only reason, one reason we didn't continue was our lead singer, Wade, 
was going a whole different path. He was having uh, babies on the way, and he also was uh, turned uh, into like a Christian, and he was saved. And he didn't want that image. And so we were invited to play in, in Germany, uh, the uh, Open Air Fest, you know, uh, in front of like 250,000 people. And uh, yeah, but we had to have the whole, yeah, we had to have the big, and we had to have the uh, original members. We couldn't get another singer to come in or else they didn't want us you know, to be there. It just defeated the purpose. So, so we were kind of let down because, you know, but we had to you know, respect his wants and his, what he wanted to do, you know? Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, I never took the band to be like an unchristian type of band music wise, you know, but I guess everybody feels differently about you, know, like, you know, what they did in their music. That's, that's right. Um, you know, uh, you know, Jim, the, the bass player, he, he continues on. He's uh he sells rock and roll clothing like he for Fender, Gibson, you know, uh, Boy London, all, all kind of stuff. He's always traveling to New York, L.A., back and forth. He lives in L.A. Um, but he's, he hasn't abandoned his own. But it's just something that you do as a hobby, you know, because you're still – got rock and roll in your blood, you know. So you, you're always going to play. You know, the same with me. I'm, I'm still playing. I don't play in a band right now, but I do pick up the guitar and, and play just about every day. Yeah. Do you think there would ever be a chance that Lebanon would reunite even with a different singer? Maybe not playing that festival, or do you feel like if it isn't like, you know, you five guys, it's not really the band you're looking to, to do? It probably wouldn't happen, uh, to tell you the truth. Yeah. You know, it, it would be fun to, to, to regain, rejoin for one more time or something like that. But uh, just everybody's so busy these days, you know, it's, it's hard to find the time. You know, to, to do something like that. It, it takes a lot more yeah. effort than you know. You know, you, you just don't go, hey, you guys want to do this, and you just show up and do it. You know, there's schedules, all, just all kind of stuff. Yeah, it, it gets harder as we get older and more of our lives get in the way of so many other things. But, you know, I know on the reissue, there were like four songs that were added to it that never saw the light of day, you know, when the first album came out. Are there any other songs that haven't been released yet that were recorded? No, those four are are the only ones. Um, yeah, they're on the reissue and they're on the the, uh, the 2010 uh, reunion issue. Uh, that's the "Let the Children Shout, Keep the Dream Alive, Ride Forever," and "Driving Me Wild." Those are the only other songs. They were done in a studio in St. Augustine uh, called Devito Studios. Oh, okay. I mean, when after the first record came out, was it very long after that that the band did break up, or were the plans at that time to go in and to work on on the on the follow up record, or was it kind of over like right after the record? Um, no, this is about two years, almost three years later uh, that, that oh, okay. they did that. Yeah, uh, I, I had uh, actually I had just left the band, and they went ahead and went on in the studio, and Jerry did all the guitar tracks. So. Oh, okay, got um, it. Got it. But we we all helped write the songs, but uh, we just weren't on on that those tracks. Well, I have to tell you, John, one of my favorite records of all time. I still play till today. 
I absolutely love it, and I can't thank you enough for putting out that album and giving us the great music you did. I'm going to let you go in about two minutes because I want to play some more songs off the record. I have another guest coming on. But it was a pleasure sure. to talk with you today, man. And thank you for taking the time out of your Sunday to be on here with us. I really do appreciate it. And you guys have a legion of fans out there. So I like to never say never because maybe something might happen with Let the Fun in the Future. You never know. But uh, I hope that it that's, does. Yeah, that's right. I, I always keep my my mind open. And, and I want to thank you for having me on the show today. Uh, that, uh, that was really great. Yeah. Online with the big cheese, you know. <laughs> hey, <laughs> thank you very much, John. I do appreciate it, man. You have a great day in Florida. And listen, I'm down in Florida twice every year. The next time I'm down that way, I'm going to reach out to you. Maybe we'll go out. We'll have a drink. You got it, buddy. I look you forward to it. Uh, you have a great night. Okay. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Okay. Day, yeah, okay, Mike, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Lebanon, one of my favorite bands of all time. Let's play one more tune. And then we'll get the Steve Gaines from Anger Resort right after this.
right. Vulgar Devils with Devil Love. That's a great record. It's out on Pure Rock, which is a division of Pure Steel. Uh, Dave Overkill from Destructor out of Ohio. This was his other band. Uh, they have one, I think they have one record out, maybe two. I have to check. Uh, and Matt Flammable, the drummer from, Over, uh, from Destructor, is also on this record. They're just like a dirty, hard rock band. You know, a lot of a lot of bands do side projects, but sometimes you can't tell the side project apart from the real band or the full-time band. You know, it's very similar in music and sounds. I don't really know why they do it, but this is completely different than Destructor, and it's just a great album. That song is called Devil Love, so uh, if you can, pick it up. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. All right, we did, what did we do? We did, uh, we did New Rods before. We'll get to some new Running Wild in about a minute. What else is going on? Well, you know, Slayer wrapped things up this weekend. I think it's been like two, maybe three years that they've been on this, uh, you know, retirement tour. Hopefully they will stay retired. You know, uh, as much as I love having bands come back, you know, and, and hate to see them lose the music. Slayer really hasn't been Slayer in a very, very long time. I've seen some people on Facebook, like, they're upset because they didn't get to see Slayer on the final tour. But I'm like, you know, it's just uh, Tom and Kerry. You know, Dave Lombardo is not in the band anymore. Jeff is gone. It's only two-fourths of Slayer. So, uh, and they really haven't sounded like Slayer in many years. They never went out like a lot of other bands, but, you know, musically... Uh, I just couldn't get into anything they've done maybe over the last 10 or 12 years or so. Every album kind of sounds the same. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing reminiscent of the classic Slayer, in my opinion. But they are packing it in, but the manager did say that it's not the end of Slayer, so I don't know what that means. <laughs> you know, it seems like once they get towards the end of these retirement tours, there's always, well, that's not the end of things. So, I mean, then why go on a retirement tour? Same thing with Motley Crue. We talked about that last week. Now they're back again because, as I said, the movie, you know, came out. A lot of people want to see them after the movie. Uh, now they're going out on tour again. And I, I think it was a drummer from Skid Row, Rob uh, Afuso. Uh, he was calling the fan, Motley Crue's fans to say that, you know, they're disappointed that he's basically calling them a bunch of assholes. He's like, why would you be disappointed that a band that you say you're a fan of, you know, is getting back together? You should be happy. They're probably pissed off because they spent a small fortune of their money. You know, going out to they weren't getting twenty dollar tickets for Motley Crue on their retirement tour. You know, so they were probably spending upwards of hundreds of dollars on a ticket because they figured it was going to be the last time that they could see the band live. Just so four years later, not even a decade or so later, on like some other bands, only four years later, it's like, well, we're getting back together now. So those people feel like, hey, you know what? I I spent a fortune going to see you guys the last time, buying up all your merchandise, and now you're back again. It's not that they're not fans of the band; they just, you know. They called it a day, and if anybody saw Motley Crue on that last tour, they sounded horrible. I mean, absolutely horrible. Vince Neil has not been able to sing in I don't know how long. I mean, he's even worse now than he was back then. And if you watch the, 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 the movie, you know, the video of, that they filmed of it, that you could buy on DVD, and I think it was on Showtime at one point. I mean, he sounds really bad in there, and that's what all the overdubs and all the fixing that they did. He still sounds terrible. I mean, Mick Mars, I know he's got, you know, he's got issues with his spine and his bones, and you know, he could barely move. But it's, it's like watching a statue play up on stage. You know, Tommy Lee's just been a dick for, you know, I don't know how many decades now. And then he sits and talks so much shit, you can't even enjoy what he's doing. So, not a big fan of Motley Crue since, you know, the second record. I don't know. I'm just talking a lot of shit, I guess, today. But I get what people are saying. They spent a lot of money to see that retirement tour, and now they're back again. They feel like they've wasted their money. Robert, the, the drummer for Skid Row is saying it because he's hoping that one day there'll be a Skid Row reunion, and, you know, he'll be a part of it. But I think he's just as far out of the loop as Sebastian Bach is these days. I don't think it's ever going to happen with Skid Row either. And even if it did, I mean, are these people really think that Skid Row are going to get back together 
and they're going to headline Madison Square Garden. I mean, do they think they're that much in demand and that popular that they're going to headline these arenas? It's not going to happen. I mean, they might play places a little bigger than the local club, uh, but that's all you're going to get with Skid Row. You're not going to get them playing Madison Square Garden or the Forum or those other big places are selling them out. They couldn't even do that in their prime. So it's not going to happen now, 30-something years later. So that's just my take on it. All right, you know what? Let's get to some uh, running wild. And then by the time we're done with this, we'll jump to maybe some anger resort or avatar or something else. And we're going to talk to Steve right after that. All right, here's a new running wild. I haven't heard it myself yet. It's called Crossing the Blades. Let me know what you think. <laughs>
running wild, crossing the blades off the new EP. Uh, you know, it's not bad, but I mean, it sounds like a poor man's uh, version of a heavy metal version of Thin Lizzy. I mean, I kind of lost it for the band when the first two, I mean, I used to be a demo tape trader back in the day. So when I got the rock from hell and then like the second or third demo, I thought the band was great. You know, when Gates to Purgatory came out and Brandon and Exiled in 84 and 85, I loved those records. I played them to death. And in 87, Under Jolly Roger came out. And I was like, all right, they're doing this pirate thing for this record. But it wasn't a bad record overall. But then after that, it was another pirate record and another one and another one and another one. I just kind of lost it for the band. I mean, everything sounded the same. The theme was just ridiculous and redundant. And this was in the 80s, like the, the mid-80s to late 80s when they started with the pirate stuff. Uh, long before a lot of these other bands started doing all these pirate shit and all this other fucking crap like that. But it was a bunch of crappy records after that. And the last three, to me, were horrible. I think Rapid Foray came out in 2016, then Resilient, The Shadowmaker. All really bad records. This one sounds a little better than that, but still not the not the Running Wild that I'm a fan of or the Running Wild that I love. All right, we're going to wait. Steven's going to call in in about a minute, too, so I'm not going to play any songs by Anger or Abattoir, Bloodlust or Dreams of Death or... Any other bands that he's been a part of. So we'll wait for him to call in. And then we'll get on to the music after the interview. Uh, I saw, I was reading that Ozzy said that he uh, wrote and recorded his new record in four days. I mean, Ozzy didn't do nothing for that new record. But show up in the studio and have somebody tell him exactly what to sing and how to sing it. <laughs> you know, Ozzy doesn't write nothing. He never has, probably never will. Uh, but, you know, he's like, it took four days. If you listen to the record, you could kind of believe that. <laughs> you know, four days, uh, you know. It sounds like shit, the new record. It, it just doesn't sound like Ozzy at all. I mean, you know, there comes a time and a place. You know, everything has a lifespan. There's a time and a place for everything. And I think, you know, you got to know when to fold it in. Uh, he just hasn't gotten to that point yet. But we'll see what happens. It'll probably do well because it is Ozzy, but it just it sounds like shit to me. All right, I think we got Steve here. Let's connect him. Uh, hang on, give me a second. Let me get the phone connected here. Steve, what's going on, buddy? <laughs> How are you? Hey, a question for you, man. On this, uh, on your phone service, why has everybody got an English yeah. accent? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess it must have been cheaper. You know, maybe it was probably for the pound went up over the dollar. I guess and they hired England to do it. Hi, bro. How are you, man? Happy, uh, Merry Christmas, hey. Happy Thanksgiving, that kind of good shit. Thank you, my friend. You know, I was just saying it was about a about a year ago we spoke when the fastest fuck record came out. Maybe November, October around that time we spoke last. So. Yeah, it was early November. We, you know, every year we run out of things to talk about, and then we we think of new things. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hell. Now the album's been out a year. The band's first, Uh you know, live record. There were a couple of studio songs tacked on to the end, some newer stuff and a a beautiful cover of Montrose on there. But, I mean, how do you feel about the album now a year later? Does it still hold up to what you wanted and expected when you recorded it? Actually, yes, it does, and I'll tell you why. It kind of steers the path for where we're going to go, um, specifically on the studio tracks. Um, we we listened back to the Ad Mortem album, and we think, well, I mean, we loved it, but we kind of felt like a, we probably did too much of a grandiose thing where it was too overproduced and things of that nature, and we thought, are we getting too far away from the plot? So with the three studio tracks that we did, we were able to reestablish and think, okay, let's refocus. Let's see if we can record in a different way, which we did. And we're happy with the result. And as we get ready to go forward and do the next studio record, it it certainly did everything it was supposed to do and is going to do so for the future. So, yes. That's a beautiful thing. I love it. Well, you know, one thing I was going to say is, you know, so many bands that have been around, I mean, 15 years, anger is 15 years now. That's, you know, that's a long time. 
Dude, I know. It's scary how, how much time is flying. <laughs> it really is. It goes by quick. But, you know, you it think does, all man. the records have been consistent. I mean, each album stands on its own. Each album has a, a different life. But yet they, they're all consistent. The rule anger is art. You know what you're going to get. You know you're going to get that intensity. You're going to get that bombastic flavor. I mean, as an artist, do you feel like you have to deliver that anger is art record to your fans each time you put out an album? Or are you, like, okay with experimenting and trying something different under that banner? Well, wow, that's a, that's a good one. See, experimenting is okay if, you, if everybody believes in it if everybody believes it's for the right reason, but if you're just experimenting for the sake of experimenting, then you can get yourself in some trouble doing that. And yeah, I mean, we've taken some left turns and some right turns on over the years and everything has always steered us back to being what we are. And that's kind of where we're at right now. There's that. I just want, God, how do I put this? Um, after going for what I would call ad mortem is more of an experimental record. It's kind of, okay, let's steer things back towards what are we known for? What are people expecting? And maybe what are they not expecting that we can bludgeon them, bludgeon them with it. I mean, we can't keep throwing fastballs. You got to throw a curveball every now and again. So that's true. Yeah. You, but yes, do we feel pressure? Absolutely. You feel pressure because if you're just doing it to please yourself and, you know, hang your records up on the wall and tell all your friends, hey, look what I did. We just did another record. You're, you're preaching to the choir. Whereas we're still trying to reach new audiences, and I hope that we are, and we seem to be, which is good. There's growth. There's not stagnant. It's not a stagnant thing. Uh, God, am I getting off of on a tangent there? I'm not sure, but I think you know what I'm no, trying to No, not at all. Absolutely. Well, you know, last year, 2018, you were working on the record. It was also sort of a little mm-hmm. bit of a downtime live-wise because a lot of the band members had a lot of stuff going on with the families and other things. But, boy, this year came, and you really kicked it up this year. I mean, you guys were out there all over the place playing this year. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's, it wasn't just, to be honest with you, it wasn't just one member. It was literally all four members, have, and myself included. Uh, just dealing with, uh, I'll t- I mean, I'll just tell you point blank, it's health issues within our, our families. And that's just kind of a thing. You need to be there for them. At the end of the day, gigs will come and go. Songs will always be there, but gigs come and go. You can always reschedule things. But that time you have with your family, and we should know this from just being being together on Thanksgiving, uh, that time you have with your family is limited. And if you're wasting your time uh, out doing something that can obviously be done at a different date, and you're not spending time with family, which is fine. I, it's yeah, you know what I'm saying. It's just you've got to do that. You've really got to spend that time and put them first and foremost. So, yeah, but we were able to get back to work, get back out on the road a bit, and just keep going. That's the important thing. Yeah, and well, you know, since we spoke last year, also Danny had to leave the band. I think Albert is on guitar now permanently. Uh, it's as far as we know, it's permanently. We're going forward as it is right now. And he's been a breath of fresh air in the sense that he walked in and just like he it's weird. You you look at a virtuoso like Albert Gonzalez and uh, he says, okay, how do I play this part? Show me how it goes. And I'm teaching this guy how to play songs. That's, that is a scary, (laughs) (laughs) I I tell you what, there's an analogy that I love to use and you know, me and analogies, right. And go hand in hand. Um, I feel a lot right now, like Scott Gorham in thin Lizzie after uh, he and Robbo worked together for so many years. I hear you laughing, right? But all of a sudden now Gary Moore walks in the door. Yeah, (laughs) it it really is that. 
So, I mean, if you can use that as an analogy, yeah, it's, um, it's where they definitely still sounded like Thin Lizzy only on steroids. But it was just that kind of a change, if that makes sense. Um, suddenly, I've really got to watch my game. In the last six months, I've probably, I probably practiced more than I have in the last six years. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that's I have no shame thing, in doing right? it. Oh, it's a no, great but that's thing. a good yeah, thing is. because it makes you up your game. Well, you're not. You know, once again, you don't want to get stagnant. You don't want to. You don't want to. You don't want to die on the vine. You don't just want to rot there. If you, and like I say, it's kind of a, a lesson we learned from. You watch other bands all across all across the spectrum. You've got to keep working. You've got to keep challenging yourself and keep wanting to do more. Because if you're just going through motions because it's what we have to do, then it's wrong and it's time to hang it up. Yeah. Well, you know, the one thing that I loved is a couple of weeks ago, you know, I'm, I'm bouncing around the internet, you know, on Facebook, and I see a fly for the next Rage at Armageddon Festival, and I see a couple right. of logos that look for me kind of mesh together. So I was like, wait right. a minute here, what the hell's going on here? And then, you know, I saw the announcements <laughs> being made, and I was like, Abattoir and Bloodlust, Abelust. I was like, I wonder if Steve did that because he just couldn't get the name, you know, Praga Dream Matic to fit because, you know, the other bands just didn't, you know, want to fit it together as a whole name. Because I was like, maybe, you know, Pagan and, and Dream and, and, and Actics, you know, maybe it was either to Abelust and he left the other three bands behind. <laughs> I couldn't figure out what was going on. <laughs> okay, it's as you know, I'll put it this way. Here's the story. And for those that don't know, here's, here's how it came to be. Um, Eight, nine, ten months ago or so, Ed Farstay uh, had reached out to us and asked if Abattoir wanted to play at Rage of Armageddon 6. And, okay, so I'm not going to put my name on anything unless everybody agrees to it. So that was the thing. I went around and I asked everybody. I said, okay, look, here's the offer. It's this, it's that. You know, it's, worth, it's a worthwhile offer, definitely something to do, playing with a lot of great bands. And everybody says, let's do this. Let's do this. Within a couple of months of me getting back to Ed, then all of a sudden I get the message that uh, Mark decided he wanted to retire from music again, which – and I'm not going to fault Mark. This is not to throw him under the bus. I back him 100%. If he's done, he's done. That's great. Yeah. But the thing that was concerning to me was that, first of all, without Mark Carl, there is no abattoir. It's just that simple. And I'm not going to sit there and fake and call something, hey, can we, can we pass this off as abattoir? No, it can't be that regardless of who's playing with you. So it was one of these things, well, what can I do? And uh, something, somebody mentioned bloodlust. I think it might have been Rob mentioned bloodlust. And I thought, wait a second. Here's the common denominator. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my own neck on the chopping block here. The common denominator is that vocalist is myself from both uh, bloodlust and abattoir. And thought to myself, let me run this by Ed and see what Ed thinks about this and explain to him exactly what happened. And I was literally crossing my fingers. God, I hope he wants to do this because, you know, you don't want to burn bridges with anybody. That's the most important thing. Uh, but Ed is definitely interested in it. He says, yes, hell yes, let's do this. This will be fun. This will be exciting. And then it becomes a matter of, wow, what did we just agree to do? Because you can't just go out there and play cover songs. That's not it. It's got to be 100% for each one of those songs that gets played. It's got to be 100% accurate with 100% integrity. And that's the whole thing we're really, we're really wrapping our heads around right now. It's like, holy crap, this is going to be amazing, but it's also going to be a huge mountain to climb. And we're excited about the challenge, and it's going to be something special. Uh, Bloodless never played New York. In fact, Avatar never played New York. But you're going to hear this to the best is going to exist because neither band exists anymore. And true, it's something that true. can be offered. And let's, let's go back and do that. 
obviously, I mean, people have heard us. They've heard us play Bloodless songs in the past. They've heard us play Avatar songs in the past. It's like, let's just offer that. And here's another analogy, but let's go, <laughs> let's go with this. I'm not calling myself Ronnie James Dio. I'm definitely not that kind of a singer <laughs> at all. But what if Dio would have said, hey, guys, tonight for this one concert, we're only doing Black Sabbath and Rainbow songs. It's, yeah. that's, that's the way we're looking at it like that. So you bring it with 100% integrity like that and give people something they otherwise will not be able to hear. And it's going to be a whole fuck of a lot of fun. We're, we're looking forward to every band that's on the bill, and we're looking forward to it. It's definitely going to be great, and for people that, like you said, never got to see any of these two bands live, especially here on the East Coast, it's going to be a big deal. So who's coming along exactly. for the trip? It's well, it's the Angry Art guys, but of course Albert now being now yes, Albert now playing with us brings along that yeah. extra piece of uh, piece of integrity. It's something we still need to work out with him, make sure that the schedules all all work out okay. But um, one thing that's been interesting about Angry Art through the history is, in any given moment, we've had at least two people in a band, in the band who were also members from another, like, for example, when Mars was playing drums, myself and he, Dreams of Damnation, and also Peg and War Machine. Uh, later on, we had uh, Angelo Espino and Dave Chedrick, so we had Hyrax's rhythm section playing with us. Of course, myself and Rob, you had, and of course, Dan, you had uh, Abattoir guys playing with us. Now we got two Evil Dead guys playing with us. So it's, you know, look at the lineage there. Also, let's throw in the bitch history. But look at the lineage there and think about what you're going to get. You're not just getting some cover band going to play some songs. You're getting guys at the top of their game. They're going to be bringing it, and it's that's how we feel about it. We just let's give somebody, let's give these people something special. That's going to be great. Well, I think it was the, was at the Milwaukee Metal Fest where you guys did the Abattoir, and I think Mark was a part of that when you did that show. That was, was in Milwaukee, right? That was in Milwaukee in 2018, correct? Yeah. So I mean, I mean, I saw little pieces of an eclipse, and it sounded great. It was good seeing you guys. Do you consider like you, Mark, to be the core of Abattoir? But I was saying anything about the other guys. Do you feel like if it's just you two, or you two were able to do it, it still feels like Abattoir to you? I think it's. Let me look at it a little bit differently. The thing was, I mean, Abattoir to me was always either Mark or Mel or both, and obviously Mel's out of the picture. So uh, that yeah. leaves Mark Caro. You're not gonna. You can't usurp something that's not yours unless one of the one of the tent poles or one of the anchors is there. And if he's not down for doing it, then you can't offer it that way. It's just not. It's not fair to people. I mean, it wouldn't be fair if we were supposed to put our name on something, and it just wouldn't. It just wouldn't be right. Um, that's why it was all about integrity. Am I rambling? I feel like I'm rambling. No, no, not at all. I, because you use the word integrity, and that's what I love about you. Is because one of the things I rant about weekly on the show is all these <laughs> festival promoters, especially like you know uh, at the Keep It Truth Festival, and that guy puts on a lot of them over there. How he reunites bands with little to no key members of any lineup of the band, and he and he builds right. it as like you know the second coming of Christ or that band. You know, I'm like, but that band is, it's only the drummer who played on the second record. It's like a main guy. And I'm listening to the bit about drummers. It'd be like if, you know, it'd be like if, if Robert Wayne said, I'll put Avatar back together. You know, like, okay. You know, I mean, nothing, right. nothing against him. He was the drummer of the band. But like you said, you, Mark, or you and Mel are, are like that core of the group. And if it isn't that core of key members, it's not really the band. I mean, even you feel that exactly. way as a member of that band. 
Exactly, exactly, and that's real. That's really it. And the same thing. The uh, you know, there was there was so much so much talk. Well, whatever happened with Bloodless? Well, look, you know, it's not going. The last I heard, they tried starting something with Guy, and it didn't work out. And but those songs are sitting there. That's the thing is that those are some great freaking metal songs that people don't get a chance to hear live. And it's like, well, I had the voice on those, or specifically on the Guilty of Sin album. I don't know if people know this, so I'm going to toot my horn here. If you read the liner notes on uh, Bloodless Guilty of Sin uh, album, the one that was on Metal Blade, anywhere it says lyrics by, by Bloodlust, those were written by me. And okay. uh, that was because I was with the band, of course. I left the band to join Abattoir, but had written all those lyrics. So it was a way of crediting a member of the band without actually, you know, because when you quit a band back in the 80s, my God, if you quit a band, that's mutiny. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, so they weren't they weren't about to give me the credit, but yet they still did in a roundabout sort of way. So, I mean, the songs that say, uh, uh, lyrics that Guy Lorton wrote, for example, he gets credited. Uh, there was a, some lyrics written by a guy named Dean Davis, who was uh, one of the engineers on the record. He wrote lyrics for, I think it was Bleeding for You. But he got credited. But anything else just says lyrics by Bloodlust, those were me. <laughs> so it's I've had a piece in Bloodlust history, a huge piece in Bloodlust history, being one of the founding members as well. And it just let's give people on the East Coast who never got a chance to hear it, let's give them a chance to hear this stuff. Now, people on the West Coast, it's funny because people in L.A. immediately get pissed. Oh, well, you're not doing it with Earl. We're not doing it in fucking Los Angeles, guys. <laughs> That's the thing. See, you got to understand there's a great big world outside of Los Angeles, and a lot of people here don't necessarily understand that. I mean, you leave town. We were in – we played in Phoenix, Arizona here last month. And, you know, it's a different world altogether. All of a sudden, people don't know your history, and they just know the songs, and they want to hear the songs. And it's an amazing thing. You're just reminded of that. And that's, that's what we'll be bringing there is because those Bloodlust songs have never been played in New York, and it's going to happen. Oh, I, I can't wait myself. I mean, what are you going to focus on? Are you going to focus on the entire Bloodlust catalog? I mean, I know you've got to mix it with the abattoir, but, I mean, even the Guy Lord stuff, or are you just going to do, do the stuff that you sang on for, with Bloodlust? Well, once again, remember there's the lyrics that I uh, the lyrics that I wrote. So the yeah, stuff that guy lyrics, yeah. those, are, those are actually those are actually my melody, believe it or not. So there's there's a stake in it. So to answer your question, yes, some of the guy lord stuff, some of the stuff from the Terminal Velocity record, and it's interesting as we're going over set lists and going back and forth and haggling over it and having a hard time talking about it. It looks like there's there might be more of those songs than Avatar songs. Believe it or not. Wow. And that that kind of surprised me too because he started looking at okay then okay otherwise we'd end up playing for two hours, and it's just not going to be that mind. kind of a set. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens with that, but um, I, it's going to end up being just about a fifty-fifty split between the two. But it's from the vicious attack record, of course, and then also guilty of sin and terminal velocity, and we may pull something off of uh, off of uh, the only safe place too. But it's just we're still trying to figure out what song goes into what. I can tell you what the opening song is going to be, but then I'd have to kill you and everybody listening. <laughs> no, don't do that. Why are you doing oh anything gosh, off hey. of uh, why Why are you doing any of Mike Tower stuff? Don't do any Mike Tower stuff. You got to come out with the cowboy <laughs> hat on. No, that's not worth it. Oh man, dude! If I, I, you know, you never know. I might have to start wearing a cowboy hat the way things are going. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I'd rather hear something from, from the from the Ashes demo. Uh, if you do anything from there, 
You know what? Part of the problem with that is it wasn't heard by enough people. I mean, I agree with yeah. you. There's some great songs there. And if, you, if you're if you actually honest there, I mean, you know enough of the history to realize some of the uh, studio tracks we did, actually, we came, well, at least one of them came off of the, uh, well, actually, two of them came off of the um, uh, the From the Ashes. Uh, Everybody Dies, as well, uh, the song became Vicious Intent, was uh, Vicious Return. They were on those demos. They never saw the light of day. That's why when uh, when Agrizart recorded them, it's like, okay, let's do these things like they were intended to be done. And I don't know if anybody's really aware, but that song, Everybody Dies, uh, Agrizart's done it, of course, but Abattoir's done it, Bloodlust has done it, Dreams of Damnation did it, and Pagan War Machine did it. The song's been around for a while, but it never got recorded. And then it finally got recorded here last year. That's an amazing thing, huh? How that song made its rounds over the decade? Oh, sure. (laughs) That's pretty good. Well, getting back to anger with the new music you're going to be working on, I'm hoping that, you know, 2020 brings a new record because it'll be four years since uh, an official studio record. I mean, Eric has been working on some of the vocals, you know, and helping out with the vocals and singing more. Is that something you think you're going to continue with the new record? it's probably going to end up being very close to a 50-50 split. And it's something we started exploring when he came into the band. Uh, But in an interesting way, the way as we're demoing up songs, we're realizing how we can actually use both voices. Now, a lot of bands do that now, and it's a little bit scary because you end up having the clean voice and the dirty voice. It's not going to be that. It's not going to be good cop, bad cop. It's um, how do we use this for the absolute most impact? How can we take the lyrics, what, what's being sung about or what's being spoken about in these words and actually make it emphasize its point? There's one song specifically, it's called Into This World, which is, I don't want to get into the subject matter, but it's about an inner dialogue somebody would have over a critical life decision. And it's the back and forth, it's the argument and realize, holy crap, I could do one line, he can do one line, then he can do one whole section. And it's the argument you're having in your head, the psychological argument. And that's, if we can pull off that mood, it will be the most incredible, incredible thing. But I don't want to do it in the way that, oh, what the hell is the band? Uh, a singer just committed suicide here a couple of years ago, Linkin Park. Oh. I don't want to do it like the oh, Lincoln okay, Park yeah. guys do. And that's a horrible example, but it's a very graphic example of how the two voices were different. It's not that. It's let's get it closer to what Gene and Paul were doing in Kiss. Yeah, well, and you know, that should be Kiss took it from the Beatles, and, and you guys are moving off with Kiss. But you're not, you're not talking about you're both singing every song together. It's just, you know, uh, you know oh. there's going to be a mixture of him, you, and then together. Exactly. That's exactly right. And it looks like if I'm looking at percentages, it's looking like about 50-50 or maybe 49-51. It's real damn close. And the guy's just been such a fucking treasure. He he's an you know he's an amazing bass player. I'm not even gonna get into his, his oh, vocals yeah. just on the bass alone. But I know mm-hmm. you you've always said that you know you were looking for something like that where another member you know pick up some of the vocals here and there. And the first exactly. time you do it, is it something you're comfortable with? Considering that you know when you think about Anger Resort, it was really like your solo thing in the very beginning. It was almost like your swan song right. musically. Right. So as time mm-hmm. goes by, do you say to yourself, I'm okay bringing another guy in? to do what I do. I mean, is, is it a, are you comfortable with it or is it something you have to come to grips with? A hundred percent comfortable for a variety of reasons. First of all, I've gotten yeah, surprising. I've got no ego in this respect. It, um, there's nothing, I don't feel 
God, this is going to sound arrogant. I don't want it to. I don't feel as though I have anything. I don't have the chip on my shoulder or nothing to prove anymore. Um, it's For me, it's about what's best for the song. Plus, I know this. I know this from a lot of experiences that when you're on tour, any chance I get a five-minute window in the middle of a set to get my breath back, I'll take it. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's absolutely that. And um, he's got a very effective delivery. I mean, I'm in, I've been in a position where I watch as I sing, and then I watch when he gets up to a mic and sings. And it's like, okay, I see how people react differently. It's very yin and yang, so it's it's a good thing. Yeah. Do you feel it's getting a little bit more harder as we get older to go out there? Because it's not like you guys are sitting back playing an acoustic guitar set and sitting on a chair for an hour. I mean, you guys are, you know, out there. I mean, it's an intense show when you guys play. I mean, do you feel it more now than you used to? Or when you get up on stage, it kind of like all washes away. Oh, dude, it, it, I'll tell you, I definitely feel it, and it's, I'm conscious of it. And I'm sure anybody that's in my age group, I'm going to tell you guys I'm 54, but anybody that's up in this age range, what am I going to do, lie about it? <laughs> but anybody that's in this age range, you definitely, definitely feel it. And it's funny because I'm conscious of it when I'm playing, and I'm realizing I'm not moving. I'm standing pretty still. And then I watch a video of us play. It's like, holy crap, I'm standing still like Tony Iommi. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things you're you're really conscious of, but then you realize I've got to pace myself here because if I completely go apeshit nuts like I did when I was a little kid when you're climbing up on PA cabinets and diving off of things, you can't do that anymore. Plus, it takes a long time to heal broken bones. <laughs> there's a video going I, I around. I there's a video. I forget the name of the band, but it happened out here in L.A. Um, was it? Black, black the, the, the black something or other, whatever the whatever the hell it is, one of the emo bands, and you've probably seen it where this guy runs up and he tries to jump up onto a PA cabinet, and he lands on the caster, <laughs> falls of, yeah. ass back. Yeah, okay, so you know what I'm talking about. But they did an interview with that guy later. He says, man, he says, you guys have no idea. He says, the show is everything. He says, I get off stage and don't realize I've broken bones, I've broken ribs, and he's, he's literally thinking about retiring. The band's been around forever. And he's still doing that. And I'm thinking, fuck, broken bones like that? Nuh-uh. <laughs> and then the different thing, we just watched, uh, I didn't go to the show, of course, but we just watched Slayer retire last night. And you think about yeah. uh, Tom Araya having that neck surgery he had, what, 10, 12, longer years ago, whatever it was, yeah. that you get from beating the crap out of yourself. It's, you've really got to be able to pace yourself. But the thing is, is this, is the music has to be intense. If you're standing still, that's fine. But if you're just going up there and you're going through emotion or you're staring right down at your guitar neck or your eyes are closed and you're not giving anybody the time of day, you're not doing it right. You're you're pretty much disconnected and done. And yeah, you know what I'm I, saying. I, I couldn't that. agree. That, that's the most important no, I, thing. No, I couldn't agree with you more. I've seen a lot of shows lately where it looked like the band didn't even want to be there. And I'm saying to myself, you know, if you're at the level of ACDC, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, you know, it's one thing. Right. That's how you earn money. It's your bread and butter. You make a living doing that. Mm -hmm. But, like, I'm looking mm -hmm. at bands at a, at a much smaller level who you're only doing it because you really want to do it. You're not really making the money to support right. a family doing it. And I'm like, why are you when you don't even care no more? Right, exactly. And you, want, and you wonder why they're there. And I'm sorry, but then they end yeah. up uh, – this is going to sound harsh, but then you, you end up taking up space. You're kind of ripping off – people only have so much disposable income. 
and you're kind of ripping that money out of their pockets, and you're not getting people their money's worth. Plus, you're taking up space for some younger up-and-coming band that may actually earn that spot, and they're standing in the way like a speed bump. God, that's a harsh thing. <laughs> no, <it's, laughs> but it, it kind but of you're right. Sense, it's true. It? Yeah. Absolutely. See, this and is why I, it's good when we, really, talk, we talk shit. It's great. <laughs> you have to talk shit. Well, like, you know, you exactly. were just talking about Slay last night. Before I was saying, you know, a lot of, I saw a lot of people out in, in, in uh, California complaining because they didn't get to go to the Slay show. They missed the final show or maybe a show on the final tour. And I'm like, you know, to me, Slay were a great band when they came out in the 80s. They were doing stuff that was just out there. I kind of lost mm-hmm. it for them over the last maybe 10 to 15 years. I felt like they were just going through the motions. They weren't putting out anything that was relevant to me. I'm not saying, you know, right. people feel differently. But to me, I wasn't catching on to any of the new music they were doing. It wasn't hitting any chords with me. And I'm like, you know what? Sure. It's Tom and it's Terry. The other half of the band that we know as Slayer are not there no more. I mean, is, that, right. is a Slayer, is it not Slayer? I mean, I don't know how you feel about stuff like that. Uh, you know, the hard thing for me is I always looked at, uh, and it's not fair because I know people who work with them. I know people that are very close to them. I've been friendly with Carrie a bunch over the years and run into Tom several times and whatever. Uh, the heart and soul of that band to me was Jeff. And uh, yeah. he even be- even before he got sick, he could see him kind of pulling away and disconnecting, if that makes sense. And when he stopped, when his creative things stopped happening, that's when it kind of started dying off for me, which would have been around the time of, say, uh, Diabolus, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, but, I mean, you know, yeah. everybody, I felt the same with Metallica and Cliff Burton. I felt he was a soul of that band when they were around. When he, when he mm-hmm. died, I, I just felt the whole band died with them, you know? Right, right. But then again, they've managed to carry on and do some. They they managed to do some really good things, and I think that's fantastic. I just I. God, this is going to sound weird. My the period for me, and I don't know if it was really related to Cliff or not, but the period of time for me in that band was Ride the Lightning and the Master of Puppets, and that yeah. was just I really appreciated because it was huge. It was a tone, the tonal difference between that and say Kill 'Em All was so huge and I think they really established a sound um, and Justice for All with all due respect to Jason and Lars wiping his bass tracks off um, the song structures themselves were a little bit too much for me, it's like well I'm kind of losing the, the the touch and of course people love that record and it just it kind of gradually drifted away, I love them always have and some of the later stuff they've done since Robert's been in the band has been fantastic but um, I've just it's it doesn't quite affect me like it did then, if that makes sense. No, I, I understand. You know, one thing, you know, yeah. about you, what I love is that you never relied on your past. You never lived off your past. You know, you always moved ahead. You always furthered your cause, whatever you were doing, and you didn't look back. I mean, you didn't look back. I mean, you look back in fondness, I'm sure, with everything you've ever done and touched musically, but you didn't rely on that. You know what I mean? You didn't take anger as art and say, well, I'm going to use my fame from Abattoir or Blowless or anything else the further it's been. You right. made it what it is on its own, and you made everything you do stand on its own, which I really admire. You know, well, thank you. Is that a choice you made, you know, to say, you know what, I don't want to be a associated, not that I don't want to be associated, but I don't want people to think, you know, I'm living off of the fame of Abattoir or I'm living off the fame of this band. I'm going to do this on my own. Well, yeah, you know, you're right, and that is actually something that's very conscious within me. Um, and you and I have talked about this several times. There are people that expect you to be in this box that you were in in 1985, and they never want you to venture out of that. A lot has happened since 1985, and that was one of the most magical periods of time in my life. It really was. But you can't live in the past. I call it, and you've probably heard me say it, the Al Bundy syndrome, where here's Al Bundy who – 
all he has to his credit was that high school football game where he scored four touchdowns. Yeah. And he will yep. live on that forever. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to mention names because it's not fair, but there's a lot of bands who I think do that. They remember who they were, and they expect that to put asses in the seats. And if you're if you're expecting people to just because, hey, here's who we used to be, and, and we're going to run this up the flagpole, and everybody's going to drop and salute, no, I don't think that's right. I think at the very least, bands got to keep working. Take the old bands. Um, I'll give you two, for example, that I'm thinking of, Death Angel and Exodus. Or I'll even throw Testament in there. Uh, besides the fact that all three were from the Bay Area, one thing about them is that they kept working, specifically Testament. They had high points. They had low points. But when you look at this whole retro, God, how do I put it, this whole classic metal period, those three bands came out of it. Why are they not included? And the reason why they're True. not included is because they kept working. And they kept putting out, say what you will about it, whether you like it or not, but none of it was below below subpar. None of it was uh, bad quality. It was still great product, and you could tell it was done by people who really gave a damn. And that's why those bands have never been included. But there are some others that I think really, hey, this will really trigger it. Oh, I'm going to make some enemies here, but I'm going to put this out there. <laughs> there are some bands that talk about the recording process where they don't want anything to sound like it was recorded in 2019. It has to sound like it was recorded in 1983 or 1984. But guys, the technology back then sucked. The amplifiers we had back then were pieces of garbage. We didn't know what recording. We didn't know what we were doing. But they want to go back and recapture that. So what are these guitar players going to do? Are they going to like go back to when they couldn't play as well and purposely play shitty with untuned guitars? <laughs> Is the singer going to sing off-key? Um, or whatever that case, I don't understand that mentality. Why, and I, I've said this since forever, why do bands want to suck on purpose so they fit into a box? Who are you ripping off then? You, you, yeah, you can't do that. Where are you now, and is what you're saying now with 100% of your being, is that going to connect with people? Put your neck on the chopping block. Go out there and be who you are today. Don't be who you were 35 years ago. Oh, let me get off my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I say the same thing a lot, too. I mean, is it a matter sure. where they just want to live in the past and recreate the past and not be relevant today? Or they, are they so afraid of losing that core audience? I met my ex, a guest one time. I said, you know, I don't really care for the direction, you know, Metallica's going in with the Load album and in that area. Well, I remember saying right. something about Anthrax. Like, Anthrax goes with whatever theater is popular. If it's rap metal, new metal, whatever. Anthrax will put out any record that's relevant for music at that time they're putting out their record. And the guy's like, well, right. you know what? He goes, I know what you're saying, but, you know, it's a business to them. They're a machine. They have people on the payroll that have to get paid. They're, you know, this is how yes. they make a living. So that's why they do it. So I, I completely understood when he said that. But then the fan of me says, well, that's not the band I love. You know, so it was like in a catch-22 for me. Like, I knew what he was getting at. And I agreed with him, but yet as a fan, I wanted to hear the band that I became a fan of. Right, and I can give you the counterpoint to that, and that would be Queen. Now take Queen, for example, yeah. who started off being a pro uh, prog rock and moved into the opera thing and then moved into this weird-ass pop thing. And then when Freddie was sick and dying, they started doing songs that were, I mean, literally like their lives depended on it, and obviously they did. Yeah. We found out in hindsight. But Queen, you could tell, there were different periods. It's like, okay, they're playing, they're following that same thing that Anthrax followed. The difference is Queen was really freaking good at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that, that usually yeah. helps. 
But do you think Queen did it, it because the music that was coming around at that time was like, yeah, you know, when Another One Bites Dust came out, you know, disco was kind of happening, the dance music was happening, it had that kind of, you know, disco dance beat going to it. But do you think Queen mm-hmm. did it to be relevant to the music of the time? Or do you just think that's where the band was at musically? Because to me, Queen were always an experimental type of band. They may not have to one extreme or another, but they were there, you know? I think there, there's a third factor in there. I think, uh, yeah, you said that they were experimental and that it would, that would be that third factor. Um, were they doing it because they wanted to? Were they doing it because the machine uh, was forcing them? Here, you guys need a hit, and this is what's coming up. What was the album, Hot Space? I don't remember a single song on that record. But, um, yeah. but you know, it, it was there. It existed. Um, but there was also that thing of, hey, let's try this. Um, let's give this a shot. Let's see if this works. Some things work. Most work very well. But a bunch of them didn't work, and they'd be the first to admit it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's crazy, this business. But, you know, Steve, it like, is. you know, talking musically, like, I think I go back to, like, you know, to, like, your whole catalog, and, you know, musically, as far as, like, writing actual music goes, I mean, you've had that nail from day one, in my opinion, but lyrically, I mean, you've moved so far ahead of what you did 25 or 30 years ago. The lyrics you oh, write yeah. today are so so conscious of, like, I feel the world around you, and I'm sure a lot of stuff is personal, too, but maybe nobody gets it and knows what it's about, but lyrically, you're on a whole nother level these days. Thank you. Thank you. That's actually a very nice compliment. I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, you know what the, the challenge is, and you know you know what the current environment is here in America right now. There's a lot of people on both yep. sides of an aisle, and there's no middle ground. There's no there's no way anybody could get together at the Thanksgiving table and break bread because there's just too much hate. The magic is is when you can be in, inspired or triggered by something to write something lyrically. And then take that topic and make it so that nobody knows exactly what you're talking about, but they can identify it. I'll give you an example. There's a song on uh, on the Hubris album called Head of the Snake. And I wrote it. It's actually got something of a political uh, bent to it. And the thing is, is I'm, I'm smart enough to know that if I was to write about what I think politically, I'm going to piss off 50% of the people in this country, 50% of the people who listen to it. And you don't want to do that. So I tried really, really hard to, okay, I'm going to pull this back. I'm going to write about the topic, but I'm going to make it ambivalent so that it will apply to anybody. A uh, friend of mine, real, real good friend, who's on the other side of the political spectrum, he got the, he got the album. He listened to Head of the State Coast Dude. He says, I love the fact that you wrote a song about so-and-so. He says, because that's exactly how I feel about this guy. And the funny thing is, it was exactly the opposite person. It was, the, it was that person's nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when, that's when you know you've reached it. It's like, man, I say, oh, hey, man, fantastic. I'm glad you were able to pull that out. But I've never told him. I never was able to tell him who it was actually about. I didn't want to. you got to keep people guessing. because if, But if you can write something that makes somebody feel like, okay, they're speaking directly to me when you may not be speaking about it at all, then you win. And that's something that um, I even saw uh, Halpert talking about during the Firepower Press uh, stuff is, okay, lyrically, he was actually going off and talking about what he was talking about. But if he wouldn't have explained it, you never would have known it. So why tell people? 
True. There, there has to be that little bit of mystery in it because that's what makes you think, makes you wonder. Right. You know, and that's a that's a good thing musically. But I rem- I I don't remember word for word what was going. On, but I remember you were having a debate. I'll use the word debate instead of argument or disagreement. You know, you were having a debate with somebody on Facebook one time where they were trying to, they were talking about like alienating their audience or people because of the lyrics that they write or the image they project. And you were like, why would you want to alienate the people that are going to buy your music, support your band? And I completely what? got what you were saying and understood where you were coming from. You have your own views. You have your own political beliefs, any kind of belief you have. And, but do you have to, like, reel it back in when it comes to – it's very easy to write a song musically about something you really right. feel strongly. But do you want to alienate the people that are buying your music? You're here to make music for people. So how, right. where do you draw the line on that? I don't know. Um, here's the thing. And the exa- an example we could give would be a band like Rage Against the Machine. Whether you're a fan of what they do or you're not a fan of what they do, you can't deny the fact that they're alienating 50% of the potential market out there. Yeah. Because they've pretty much they pretty much they've they've shown you what color they're wearing if that makes sense. And why would you want to do that? You can't do that. It's like arguing with sports after a little bit. It's like who cares, you know? <laughs> oh, the Raiders are getting their asses handed to uh, today. By the by the way. <laughs> No, I know. I, I love when people go nuts about a sports game. Like, they're going ballistic. I'm like, you know, the guys playing on the team that are losing aren't getting that upset. They're getting paid millions of dollars for that game. <laughs> You're getting crazy of over course. it. I, you know, uh, <laughs> it's I know. insane. But, you know, I rage against the machine only because, you know, I think it's people don't want to see guys in dreadlocks, white guys in dreadlocks. I think that's the main reason. Well, it's funny. It's easy to pick Tom Morello apart, um, but he makes himself easy to pick apart. Uh, the whole thing about him, about not wanting to wait in line for a restaurant or something like that, like he was above somebody else. I think you probably heard the story, which to me is so counter to everything he stands for. It's like, And that's another reason why you don't want to let people know what you are, who you are, and what you stand for. Because you're setting yourself up to be, uh, to be a, uh, a bowling pin, for lack of a better way to put it. You're, you're going to get beaten around. Can't do it. True. No, I know. I mean, when you're in this business, Stephen, you've been in it for a very long time. I mean, are you, do you still get thin-skinned, or do you really like grow like like thick skin, not to like let things, you know, bounce off you? I mean, it's hard. Like when people say this song sucks, that this man, I don't like this. This is no good. That's no good. But a lot of it's just bullshit because people like to cause controversy and trouble today. But do you kind of have to be thick-skinned, or is it something that you just can't grow no matter what? You have to be, but I I find lately it's like if there's somebody that if they go for a personal attack on you. And, you know, come on, let's face it, everybody's a keyboard warrior, aren't they? Uh, If they go for a personal attack on you, as opposed to where I used to take the bait years and years ago, I would take the bait with people and get into arguments with them. Now it's kind of like, oh, gee, you're really hurting me. No, please don't say that. No, no, what am I going to do? You don't like me? You mean one person's not going to buy my record? Then you start screwing with them because if you start sticking the knife in them a little bit and just poking them, it's more fun that way because you get them more mad. And that's kind of what I've fallen into. It's a, it's a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't blame you. I mean, do you think we're more of an uncivilized society? I mean, you see all the stuff that goes on on the internet all day long, but was this stuff actually going on all these other years, but we just didn't have the access to it because of you know, 24-hour news services, the internet, and stuff like that? Were we always like that's this? Exactly were, were right. people, Democrats, Republicans always like this, or we're just seeing it now because oh, yeah. it's in front of our face 24-7? It's because it's worse now because it's 24-7. It's in our face. It's a 24-hour media cycle. It's Internet. It's social media. Uh, But go back and look at All in the Family, the Verity Bunker. I mean, this stuff definitely existed, and it existed before that. Um, In fact, what was the the movie? 
road one of the road movies with uh, Bing Crosby and uh, and uh, Bob Hope, where they talked about trying to find a Democrat in New Hampshire or, something, or Vermont or something. Oh like yeah, that. and you know it's a very famous thing. But this is the 1930s or 1940s. It's been going on since forever. <laughs> it's also why they always say you do not talk politics at the Thanksgiving table. <laughs> I keep bringing up Thanksgiving, maybe because I have a fridge full of turkey. I don't know. <laughs> that's all right. Once you had a good Thanksgiving, that's all that matters. You know, I, everyone that I still oh, get with my, most of my family, I'm happy for. So I, I, nothing else really matters to me in the end. Exactly. Yeah, there's no time for minutia. There really isn't. And uh, some people want to make life their minutia right now. And if that's your, you want to waste valuable minutes doing that, go right ahead. It's just not worth it. No, I know. It's a crazy world we live in today. It seems like there's no more compromising, no more getting along. Like it says, back in the day, if I didn't like a record and I was actually talking to that band man, I'd say, it's just not my cup of tea. You know, today it's like vicious. Wanna want to hurt people today. That's the sad part about things. There's no more, well, it's not my, you know, that record's not really what I'm into. You know, but it's just, you know, it's crazy today. Yeah, exactly. And why? Uh, I mean, it's just it, there's there's no point, and it's one person's opinion. It doesn't affect the other person one way or the other. That's what that's what gets me. I've seen people uh, there's you know the keyboard warriors today. Okay, now that's I saw one friend of mine who may or may not be listening. I'm not going to mention his name, but uh, he made the he made what he thought was the funny joke of gee now that Slayer's over, what's Paul Bostoff going to do with himself? Is anybody giving him a suicide hotline number? It's like what a chicken shit thing to say. First of all, I yeah. already know where the guy's going, what he's going to be doing. I mean, I, I I knew months ago what his new job is going to be. It's going to be announced soon. But uh, for Christ's sake, it just don't say shit like that because you're actually talking about human beings here. If you don't like the person, shut up. But what a horrible thing to say. No, it's true. Hey, listen, I, I know what a big Judas Priest fan you are, and you've got early Priest oh, yeah. going on. You know, as you oh, yeah. move on and you keep this band going, does early Priest records start moving up into like the next – phase? When do we get to, like, you know, Screaming for Vengeance? Does that become early Priest, like, 10 years from now, when Priest put out another three, four records? Which I hope they do, but I don't, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but, you know, what's going on with that? I mean, you seem to be having a good time doing that. We're having a great time doing this. Uh, the next show we do, we're actually in the process, we're negotiating a, a show right now, where we're going to be doing the Unleashed in the East album uh, from beginning to end, including the bonus nice. tracks. So it's wow. stuff like that. But here's the thing that people don't really – I mean, you know, the bonus tracks, the ones that were added later on and all that kind of good stuff. There's, I think, additional seven or eight songs that were not on the studio album – on the uh, single album, not studio album. <laughs> Freudian slip. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but uh, here's, the, here's the thing. There are so many Judas Priest tribute and cover bands, and there's – I think here in Los Angeles, there's got to be 10 or 12. And there's uh, a handful of them that draw really, really well. What we're doing is we're filling a niche because these bands, they have to play the hit songs. They have to play your Breaking the Laws, your Living After Midnight's, your Another Thing Coming. Uh, they've got to play everything that all the MTV, you know, you got to play Turbo, you got to play this. Nobody's touching the 70s stuff because I think the only song they might dig out every now and again is Helping for Leather. But we've had some members of some of these bands, oh, okay, let's go see who the competition is. And we play these songs, you know, when you when you bust into uh, Let Us Pray, Call for the Priest, and these guys are expecting you to play Living After Midnight, they, they it's kind of, and we've actually had these guys come up to us and say, fuck, they, we, we never even thought we would have time to play those songs. The idea that you guys are, like, locking onto that period, those first five records, and that's enough. That's, that's plenty. It, it, it fits a niche. And also... 
you know, for those of us that are in the age group, it's that was such an iconic bunch of music, and that literally changed my life. I can remember where I was sitting when I heard Stained Glass first, and how the world changed. And I don't think I don't think we'll do anything more. Uh, two of the guys that are in the band also play with another cover band, and they do a, a lot of the you know all the way up through the '90s kind of stuff. They do stuff off of Painkiller and whatever, but no, we're sticking with the '70s. That's good to know. What do you think about you know the KK Downing thing? We're getting Ripper and, and Les Banks and Dave Ellison. They went out there and did the all the free stuff. That was actually really good. And I mean, Ripper can sing anything. Now I'm going to say this about Ripper. Sometimes it sounds like he's sharp, like he's about a half step up on his voice. But um, he really sounded good uh, on the videos that I saw there. KK sounded good. The big thing for me was seeing Les Binks play because, I mean, after – I think he played with Lionheart after Judas Priest, and after that he kind of vanished. Um, there yeah. have been videos and photos of him and uh, Richie Faulkner playing together years and years ago before Richie was in, uh, was in Priest. But it's just one of those things where you can actually see that bit of magic. That's fun. Uh, but looking at this 50-year – this is where I think you're taking the conversation – this 50-year anniversary, I – I really wish Kim would just let things play out. Um, I think he sent a request out to management, and nobody got back to him yet. Well, there's also the holidays, wrapping up the tours, Robert his Christmas record, such and such. I think he reached out, hey, guys, uh, if we're going to do anything for the 50th anniversary, let me know. And no one got back to him immediately, so he says, well, they, they've let it be known that they don't need my services. No, they just never answered your, your email. The yeah. bigger thing for me, I really just wish you'd you know wait it out because the fan base is not going to accept anything unless Kenny's involved for 50, for the fiftieth year, and there's there's no two ways about that. Um, you saw what Richie Faulkner said this week where he talked about it's not my choice, he's, but he there's also been some back and forth between Faulkner and Downing that I paid attention to, and it's like okay, I see these guys trying to work, but hey, if we can work this out, this will happen. The biggest thing for me is that uh, KK and Glenn need to sit down and talk. And who am I? You know, I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, the story goes that those guys never really got along at all during the years. They tolerated each other. Um, and, That's what it sounds like from the book, yeah. Right, from the book as well, some other things that I've read over the years. Uh, it just makes you wonder. It makes me wonder how hard-headed and boneheaded Glenn's being about it. And if he just doesn't, you know, you know, screw it. I don't want to talk to this guy at all. But the, the bigger thing is this: if the, the, I just think that people need to make those two guys specifically need to need to make peace. Forget the band; they just need to make peace with one another. Because I'm watching a family member of mine right now in the end stages of, our, of Parkinson's, and I'm knowing what's going to be happening with Glenn here pretty soon. And it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be ugly. And there's going to be a lot of regret if those guys don't make peace. I mean, even if it's not with Glenn, then at least with Glenn's family. But that's got to happen. I mean, forget about the band. Just make peace with one another. At least shake hands, agree to disagree, and ride off into the sunset. That's the bigger thing for me. Because regret no, I, I is a pill, man. It, it really is. And, you know, so much goes on that you don't know about, that we don't hear about or right. read about. So nobody really knows the whole thing. But Glenn... He's not coming back again. I mean, on stage, not any no. like one-off songs or appearances. It's over. I mean, even songwriting, it's probably limited or down to nothing these days. So, where does the band exactly. go from here? I mean, right now they're in the kind of like you know, I mean, listen, Andy Steve, I think is a great guy, amazing behind the board. I mean, and he's a great guitar player too. I mean, is that going to be the new priest? Sure. I mean, what's gonna you know no. what's gonna happen? Bring bring KK no. back in. I mean, you know. 
I think I would I would personally like to see that. I just honestly don't see it happening because I know there's enough bad blood. I know how bad blood is with band members. And if there's if there was a lot of regret and anger that had happened over the years and a lot more money involved too than we'll ever see. Um who knows what really happened? Uh, apparently, there's some stuff that did happen there after Rob came back to the band that got a little bit dirty and dicey and whatever. I don't know. I'm just reading, you know, read between the lines and some of the interviews. I just, I really wish that, I wish Ken wouldn't fall, take the bait and fall for the press. When they ask him questions about press, he's got to be very ambivalent, and he's not being that. He's making it sound, he's making it worse than it really is. Is what really is what I think's happening. Yeah. Well, I tell you, I think yep. Trick of the Week anyway goes to Pete Townstead this week. <laughs> kind of went out there <laughs> and threw everybody under the bus this week. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny because it, it, those are the last two members of The Who, right? He and Roger. Uh, but those yeah. two guys have butted heads since they were wearing sweaters, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. They always well, he, he have. He came out and said last... that too. Oh, yeah. But it's you know it's a it's a fiery relationship and it does work when they get together. I've not heard anything from the new from their latest album. I guess it's about a year old now. I haven't heard anything off I of it yet. But um and don't really have a desire to do so. But I've got a hunch that whatever it is, it does sound like the Who. It's not going to sound like a couple of guys. Hey, let's relive the past glory. Yeah. I know, but it always strikes me as funny because, I mean, Aerosmith go through the same thing. A lot of those guys oh, sure. don't get along with each other. They just get – but, like, they get up on stage, and sometimes you watch a show, you like, you would never know that these guys don't get along. And then there are times right. saying you can see, like, you know, there's animosity there because they won't cross each other's pants or look at each other. It, it, it's a weird <laughs> thing. I mean, you know, it's like you, know, you go to work every day at your job nine to five, and there are coworkers that you enjoy working with and get along with and ones that you don't. I, mean, I guess it's a little of different course. when you're in a band, but you just feel like a band is supposed to be a band. You know, it's supposed to be guys up on stage entertaining you with the music. So it's it's always a weird thing, but it's no different than a guy working a nine to five job. You know, where you don't like a coworker. Right. It's a little bit worse, and I'll tell you why. Because you're not on stage uh, 24 hours a day. You're only on stage an hour and a half, two hours, two and a half hours. The other, let's call it 21 hours for the sake of argument. You're in a very confined space with this person. And if you don't get along with them, it exacerbates it. Then their feet start stinking. Then they start farting. Then they leave the cap off the toothpaste. Then they leave a mess in the bathroom. Uh, then you're in a bus, a van. You're in a plane, depending on what stature you're at. And everything they do, they snore, they sneeze, they cough. It pisses you off. They don't like the food that you want to have. They're complaining that the coffee's too cold or some shit like that. All that little stuff that you, like you said, with your coworkers, it would annoy you about their little habits. Imagine being stuck in a room, and I know you've been happily married for many, many years, but being stuck in a room with your wife or in a car with your wife every day for nine months, and the weather changes and everybody's sick, you don't feel what, you're going to start arguing. It's just going to happen. Little, oh, yeah. little things turn, can, they could turn into big things. I don't think people understand. They get this idea that everybody's got to be bros. The biggest thing, and this this has been the thing for Anger Resort, and in fact, I'll, I'll circle back to something else after this. Um, one of the biggest things for Anger Resort is we give each other space. It's the most important thing because when we're, when we're together, like we were together, uh, the three, three of us were together yesterday at a breakfast meeting, which was fantastic. And, you know, it's just whenever we get together, we laugh, we have a great time, but when we go our separate ways, we give each other that space. And um, when I say I wanted to circle back, uh, just so people understand – 
Uh, Dan's departure was not anything personal. It was literally life got too busy. He had too many things going on, and he had an opportunity with his with his job that was going to actually go really, really far with his career. I mean, we're talking about a lot of money. And it's like, I don't have the time for this anymore, guys. I can't devote the time anymore. Plus, for the last year he was in the band, he really he was we were dealing with his schedule a lot. He wasn't able, and it, we we saw the writing on the wall. It's nothing bad. It just it really is what it is. You don't have the time. Um, step away, and that's exactly what he did. But it was nothing personal. We never had a chance to get into anything personal. He's still one of my best friends. And like I said, as of all the people I'm in circles with, I've known Dan since '82. He's the one that I'm literally in, have been in contact with constantly for 37, coming up on 38 years. Damn! Wow. <laughs> you know, that's a long time. Yeah, it is. You know, it is. Everybody it is. wants to hear about a fight. Everybody wants to hear about you know something juicy that was bad. But like you said, yeah. you know, we're all getting older, and life gets in the way sometimes. As much as we're dedicated to what we're doing. Other things happen, you know, and unfortunately, you know, you got to set your precedence. Not that you know, anything bad happened, not that he didn't want to play no more, but like he says, life got in the way of this, and he had to move where he thought it was best for him, and that's what happens in, the, in this world. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. I mean, I, this is going to sound funny. I really wish people could have personnel changes like the one we just had where it actually handled – it went very, very smooth. It was just like, okay, well, we understand, and we were we started uh, booking shows as a three-piece. And then uh, then uh, Rob says, hey, uh, I think Albert want, might want to play with us. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that worked out well. Did you do any shows as a three-piece before he came in? We did, not not since Dan departed, but there was one when his uh, – he had let's just say he had a situation. It was a medical situation. He could not he could not do a show. He played in San Diego, and we did the show as a three piece, and uh, it, it actually went over very very well, uh, to the point where some we were playing in San Diego, and some people told us that well I've never seen you guys before. You're fantastic. Can't wait to see you again. Is that you're seeing us at, you know with 25 percent down? Is that one of our members actually dealing with a medical issue? Couldn't make it tonight. So, never would have known had you not said anything. It's like wow, so. It That's was just great. one of those things that, like, you know, it, it gave us that confidence that we could, if we had to, we could. So, yeah. Does that, did that become more on you for that show, having to take on both parts and sing? Uh, well, not so much from uh, – the scarier thing for me was not having I – mean, I found this out when I'm getting in the vehicle to drive down to San Diego. So we never even had a chance to rehearse, never anything. It's like all of a sudden, oh, crap, I've got a solo. Oh crap! I've got to do those solos, and <laughs> so I did yeah. not have a chance to do anything. And I'm thinking to myself, I sat down there, I got to the venue, pulled out the guitar, said, "Okay, if I play this and I play that," and I realized all this cramming is not going to do anything. Just let's just get up there and see what the hell happens, and it worked out. Was there a song where you guys were playing and then you stopped playing because it was Danny's part, and then you realized nobody's playing at all? <laughs> No, no comment. Other than let's just say I went to go, I went to go play a solo and was completely out of key. And when I realized I was out of key, I froze. And it's just like, oh fuck! And then I went, oh shit! I better play. So I just played the rhythm part and we went right back in. What was worse yeah. is we were playing with a couple of bands down there that were very, uh, how do I, very technical guitar players, very Megadeth on steroid type guitar players. And these guys, fuck, dude, you're a great player. Like, shut up. <laughs> Thanks for being nice, but you're lying to me. I know that. So no, man, we never would have known. Interesting. Yeah, well, that's good to know. 
I mean, Steve, oh, yeah. do you think everything has a lifespan? Is there a time where everything just expires? And I don't just mean us in life, but yes. do you know when it'll be time to pack it in and not do this anymore? Oh yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll you know, it. Uh, you start to question that as as the years go on. Um, who knows? But then again, this band is always operated on. We don't know if we'll be here next week. Because when you start saying, oh, hell yeah, we're going to be here forever and metal and rock the world and we're going to take over the world and blah, blah, blah. You don't know that. We don't know what's going to happen next week. So uh, I'm grateful for the time we have here. I'm grateful for the track record we have. Uh, we've never put out a piece of shit product. We've never sucked, as far as I know. <laughs> um, and, you know, but when it's time, when we all, there's going to be one of those days. I remember towards the end of Tactics, in fact. When um, we were going to the last rehearsals, and Sin and I would just look at each other, and it's like, this ain't happening. And he had this look on his face. He goes, dude, he says, I got an opportunity to do something else. He said, it's time to hang it up. He goes, I think so. I said, okay, it, totally understandable. And there you go. You'll yeah. know. When the time is right, you'll know. But uh, thank the good Lord above, the time is not right yet. So we've uh, still got uh, fire uh, in the belly. We've still got, uh, still got uh, music coming, and... Uh, it could be the last one, or it could be five, six, seven more to go. You never know. <laughs> well, that, well, well, that's just beautiful. Only, only you're gonna know. And when the time comes, you'll know. like I said, because I remember when Lemmy was getting sick towards the end. He was still out there performing and playing, and people were like, "Why yeah. is he out there doing this? He can't do it anymore." Blah, blah. Then I was like, "Yeah, I agree." And I was like, "Well, you know what? This is what he wants to do." I mean, I think he's earned right. that right. I mean, whether you know you're a fan or not, I mean, this is what he wants to do until the day he dies. And really, that's exactly what he did. He kind of went out doing right. what he did, dying doing what he did. Right, and you know what? There's that there's that whole mentality. You've seen people when they retire, how within like a short period of time they drop dead. I think Lemmy knew yeah. he was sicker than he than he ever told anybody because he was only diagnosed what two days before he passed on. <clears throat> I'm certain. Yeah, that not he long. Knew. Yeah. I mean, it, it, he looked he his health. He did not look good at all. But I think there was that mentality with him. I'm going to finish out this string of dates. I mean, every every commitment we have for what what year was it? 2014, 2015, whatever year it was. Uh, he's, I'm going to about I'm, three years ago, four years ago, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to finish out this commitment. He says because if I stop and go into medical treatment, I'll drop dead. Well, he finished the tour. What three weeks later? Four weeks later, he's gone. I think yeah. he knew, and uh, he's like, if I stop. Nothing. It's it's going to be over, and there's something noble about that, I guess. But then again, there's also the person that stays out there on the road too long in poor health, and they end up dying out there on the road. That's terrible. And uh, we've seen plenty plenty of things happen like that. Unfortunately for him, his life yeah. was the road, and when he got when he got home, it was time to go, and he knew it. I, no, I agree. I, I I can't tell you how many coworkers I've had that I've worked at the job I've worked at for. 40, 50 years, they retire and they die right away. You know, and that's why, yeah. you know, I made it my business and my point to sort of semi-retire as I'm still working. That way I'm used to it yeah. when I fully retire and I don't have to worry about it. Plus, you're going to have things to do. I mean, you've always had a full plate as long as I've known you. And now you've got the grandbaby. And, you know, I mean, you're going to be you're going to be busy. That's the thing. People that just think it's going to be great to not have to do anything, then they've got no goals and nothing to shoot for. And that's what sucks because those are the ones that usually end up dropping off. Um, as long as yeah. you've got a schedule of things to do to keep yourself busy and keep yourself motivated, you're going to go on forever, man. Well, I'm going to live 4,000 years because all I got is a schedule of things to do. I, 
I work the night shifts. I work seven at night to five thirty in the morning. I get home at six thirty. I watch my I babysit my granddaughter from seven o'clock to oh, four God. o'clock four days a week, and then I go back to work again. So I'm busy all the time, and this show is something I do in between now. Of course. <laughs> That's come. I got to say, one of the one of the happiest things for me is seeing you post all the pictures like such a proud grandpa. I just I love looking at that stuff, and I don't know you you being on the outside, me from the outside looking in, and I'm seeing the tone of your posts when you post those pictures and I get it. And it just, it just thrills me because you're, you've always been such a great friend, but to really see you really enjoy that and embrace that. It just, it warms my heart. It really does. Damn, uh, thank you. It's a great thing. It's a beautiful room. thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm real yeah. happy right now. She's brought a lot of joy to us. So we're all thrilled about that. I, I can tell. I can tell. Uh, so, Steve, I'm going to cut you loose because the show actually ended like 15 minutes ago normally, but we're still on the air. But I want to play a couple oh, of songs by all the bands that you've been a part of, or just a few of them anyway. And, uh, but, you know, what's, what do you have? I mean, the year's almost over. We only got a couple of weeks left. 2019 is in the big. I think it was a great year for Anger Resort and you as a musician. I mean, besides, you. you know, the Rage of Armageddon Festival next September, which you're going to be part of, and a lot of other great bands are going to be in this weekend, Bill. Mm-hmm. Anything already planned for 2020, or are you still working on putting things together? Uh, we're going to start getting into pre-production on the new record, probably because Evil Dead's recording an album right now, and I don't want to bother those guys while they're tracking. But uh, probably sometime later this month, I'm going to get together with Rob, and we'll start going over songs and start getting ready to track. Probably February-ish, if I'm if I'm being ambitious. But the bigger thing is this: uh, in addition to Rage of Armageddon, we want to try and tack on because remember that's a different band. We're going to tack on some Anger yeah. Dark dates. Yeah. And uh, we're going to do more than one place on the East Coast. That's Let's just put it that way. Um, Ed's got the exclusivity for the New York market, but uh, that doesn't mean we can't go down to Philadelphia, Washington, uh, in and into uh, Pennsylvania and stuff like that. There's things we're looking at. So we're going to spend some time there, and uh, I'm looking forward to eating some good Italian food, bro. <laughs> well, you know, when you get here to New York, I'll, I'll take you guys out for a nice dinner. The area you're playing in, awesome. I know a couple of really good restaurants, so uh, we're going to go out and eat that oh, day. Uh, I'm going to take off from work, me, and it'll be a whole day we together. Cool. Let me ask you a question because you're actually from the area. Is Peter Luger's Steakhouse overrated or not? Peter Luger's, it's overpriced, I can tell you that. <laughs> it's, not, well, yeah, that's, it's not really overrated. So, somebody has a hard-on for them from the Time, from Time newspaper and gave them a really shitty review. Really? But uh, it's, still, it's still a great steak. And, uh, you know, it's old school waiters that have been there. Some of these guys have been there 40, 50 years. The nasty, right. the mean, the, the, that's just the whole atmosphere of the place. You know, it's like you're that's doing me a favor. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I get I've that. You know, some people, there. Right. Some people don't, uh, don't uh, appreciate that. I actually do. I mean, the guys that are pros, have been, that's all they know in their life. I would appreciate that. And I've always wondered, I've, one of these days I've got to get to Peter Luger's, and I know this venue is what? I think uh, two sub, one or two subway stops away. So uh, it makes me wonder. It's a, it's a thought. But <laughs> well, if you want to go, you let me know. I'll make reservations before you come in, and uh, we'll go eat there. It, it's a great steak. Oh, you can't dude. beat it. Simple menu, uh, but, you know, way overpriced for what it is. You're talking $150, $160 for a steak for two people. You know, that's a little out there. That well, don't include the sides. That just includes the nasty service. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. That's what we're talking about. But no, I mean that. Yeah. You know, that is not a, that's not a deal breaker by any stretch of the imagination. But it's just one of those things I wanted to ask because I I knew you would know, 
And yeah, yeah. it's going to be. It, it, we're looking forward to being out there. And uh, here's one last thing before we hang up. Uh, I know that we're going to be in town on September 11th. That's going to be something. Without getting too morbid here, I mean, it's the 19th, not the 20th, but uh, 19th anniversary, not the 20th anniversary, but it's something that I've often wondered. I wonder if I'll ever be in New York, and I know we'll be in town, and that's going to be something that I just, I want to pay my respects. I've been to uh, Ground Zero, of course, and paid my respects, but uh, something with with one of the ceremonies, I think, would just be just something I feel like I'm compelled to do. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, it'll, it'll be going on that morning from like seven o'clock to like eleven, twelve o'clock. There's usually the whole ceremony sure. down there, you know. So I mean, it, if you hear that time, it, it's worth going to because how often can that? Have, I mean, I hope it never happens again like that. But how often are you gonna be in town no. during that time? Exactly. You know. So I, I would definitely make it there if you could. If you got the time and the schedule, I would definitely go down oh, there. Sure. Awesome. Awesome, but yes, man, that we're that's what we're looking forward to next year as well as some other dates. Uh, working on working on things, but just it's a matter of keeping the machine rolling, and the machine is rolling, so we're we're looking good. We're looking good, man. Ah, uh, that's always a beautiful thing. Hey, Steve, I can't wait to see you again next year. I mean, I'm going to talk to you long before then anyway, but I can't wait oh, to course, see you in person again next September. We're going to have a great time, and it's going to be a awesome, killer weekend at that show. It will be fantastic, and dude, uh, just please pass on to your family, uh, just the the blessings from the Gaines House, uh, ha- uh, Merry Christmas, and all of that, just the best of the holiday season to you, and you know I love you, man, you're one of the greatest people on earth. Absolutely, Steve, I love you too, buddy, Merry Christmas to you and your family, and I'll talk to you real soon, my friend. Likewise, but have a good one, and thanks everybody for listening, we'll talk to you soon. You got it, take care, Steve, bye-bye. Bye-bye, bud. All right, let's jump into some mangroves off first, then we'll get into everything else. Here you go. They all fall down.
Abattoir, Game of Death, and before that, Bloodlust with CTR. You're going to get that and a lot more at next year's Rage of Armageddon Festival. It's been a long time since we've been on the air for almost three hours. We've been wrapping the shows up way before 8 o'clock for the last few months because I've been working on Sunday nights. But uh, I'm on vacation this week. Actually, it ends tonight. Go back to work tomorrow. But we were able to stay on a lot longer today. I want to thank John from Lebanon and my good friend Steve Gaines from Anger Resort and now Abelust. Be at the show next year. Rage of Armageddon is always a great show. And, you know, Ed brings a lot of cool bands together to New York. Two, maybe three days. I'm not sure what it's going to be next year, but uh, be there. I'll get you more info as we get closer and more bands are announced. I don't know who's on the show next weekend. We were supposed to have Dushan Petrosi from Magic Kingdom, uh, but that interview had to get postponed, uh, so we'll get to him later on. Next week is actually the last uh, week that we will have any guests on uh, for the rest of the year. We're off on the 15th, and then the last two weeks of the year we're doing our, our holiday shows. Uh, so I'll see who I could get in the whole of this week and maybe line up for next Sunday night. And uh, I'm sure we can dig up somebody. So I will see you guys next Sunday. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. And I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Good night, everybody. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.